up, y'all? Welcome to the Follow That Fear podcast. This is a show dedicated to empowering you to follow that fear, pursue what is calling you, and take it one step at a time. My name is Kat Del Carmen, and I am the host of this show. I'm so excited you're here today. We have an amazing guest, but before I get into that, if you have listened to this podcast in the past and have taken anything away, whether it's a piece of knowledge, some inspiration, or something tactical, it would mean so much to me if you could take the time to snap a screenshot of this podcast and share it on your favorite social media channel. This is how the podcast grows. So when you do that, it really makes a huge, huge difference. Thank you so, so much if you have before. Um, I just really appreciate it. All right, y'all. I am so excited for today's episode. Today, I am talking to Erica Cruz. Erica Cruz is a self-discovery coach, TikTok consultant, and marketing manager at a tech startup in Silicon Valley. As a proud daughter of Mexican immigrants, Erica is aware of the lack of resources that were available to her growing up. For this reason, she is on a mission to connect women from her community with the tools and resources to kill it. Her content on IG and TikTok focuses on bringing people back to themselves so they can find their deeper purpose, gain confidence, and dream big. We just kept it so real on this episode. And to be honest, Eric and I go back, (laughs) I guess go back to just the beginning of quarantine, (laughs) but uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it on the episode. But honestly, this conversation was so good. Erica just gave so many tips on how we can be more connected to ourselves and make decisions that are mindful and just be aware of the things that are blocking us from our bigger purpose and our big goals. I hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, here you go. I'm going to give the audience a little background. Erica and I met online and we legit have become like business buddies, business besties, and we have formed a really like special relationship in that we are both in this entrepreneurial journey and we meet bi-weekly um, to talk about our challenges, our wins, what we want to do, ideas, bounce things off each other. And it has been such a blessing for real, Erica. Um, I really appreciate you and what a blessing it is to have that kind of relationship in this journey, right? Um, so thank yeah. you. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. I I can't believe we have not met in person, but it feels like I've known you my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. Like we went to high school together. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're long lost soul sisters. Yeah, it's such a blessing. Well, let's get into it. I'm really excited um, to talk about kind of a handful of things, Um, but I'm going to start with just asking about you. So tell us a little about about you, what you do, and all the good stuff that is Erica Cruz. So um, I do a lot. <laughs> I'm a self-discovery coach. So I help Latinas find confidence, fulfillment, and purpose through mindset and mindfulness. I'm also what I consider a 
semi-professional TikToker. (laughs) So TikTok has been like my main platform. It's where I've seen the most growth. I'm also a yoga instructor and I am a marketing manager at a tech startup. So definitely balancing a few different things. The reason I do this is because I come from pretty humble beginnings. So with very limited resources, both of my parents immigrated from Mexico, having a third grade and a seventh grade level education. And to this day, my mom cleans houses and my dad does yard work. So that's always really motivated me to work hard and to try to get as far ahead as I can. But something I've noticed is that anytime I do something that feels like advancement, whether it was my yoga teacher training, a mindfulness retreat, a yoga, I'm sorry, a meditation retreat, or even just working at a tech company and being the only person that looks like me. Like that was just something that kept happening over and over and over. I was the only one that was young, brown, Latina, and that's bullshit. So I really do feel like my purpose is to help people from our community with the resources that I wish I had. So Michelle Obama has this quote, whenever you cross through the door of opportunity, you don't slam the door behind you, you help people through. And I just feel really aligned with that. That's beautiful. I I thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, I think it's something that my audience across the board can resonate with just because I I don't know. I think a lot of us, when I say us, I mean my audience um, uh, from humbler beginnings and we don't talk about it that much. And it's not that we don't, it's not only that we don't talk about it that much. It's that I feel like we really do want to talk about it more, but we don't really have as much of a space to. So the fact that you not only share your story, like when you can throughout your TikToks, like you thread it into your content, but it, you're also making this space for like us to be like, Oh, we can talk about it. You know what I mean? Like we can talk about our story too. So it's such, it's such a beautiful thing. Thank you so, so much. I have a question for you. So you brought up as you've grown and have had these, like, I guess we could just call them like successes, (laughs) Um, but let's talk about what is successful in either first gen or like minority. You know what I mean? Like in that, in, in our homes, success, um, looks very different than what you and I have learned to to understand what success is. Um, tell us a little bit about like, what do you think is like success in a Latinx home or your home? What was what was like the picture of success? And how has that like also affected you? Yeah, I love this question. Because, well, obviously, it's different, I think, in every household, but there are some similarities. So in my home, and at least in my friend's home and my my cousin's homes that I had insight into, success was working hard, hard work, and doing honorable hard work that provided a steady income. That's what success looked like. If you really made it, then success was going to school to become a doctor or a lawyer, right? Those were like the two options if you were going to go to school and do something. But if it wasn't those, then it was... How can you either go to school or just get a good job and have a stable job, which is very different to how you and I would identify success. And I think it's also the story of many others. Like this is one of the things I'm just seeing over and over and over. It's that we were raised to follow these steps. So we go to school, we get a job, and then four or five years later, we look back and we're like, why am I not fulfilled? 
I did everything I'm supposed to be doing and I don't feel like I'm living my purpose. And it's just what I keep seeing over and over and over. And I thought I was alone. And I'm sure that you thought you were alone when that was happening. And I really do think it stems back to what does success really mean to us as individuals versus what does it mean to our culture? Because I remember growing up hearing like, oh, Erika ya está lista para casarse. Erika's ready to get married already because I loved the kitchen. But I loved the kitchen because I liked being creative and because I felt boxed in a lot of times with being able to express myself creatively and being able to do things that weren't very, that weren't valued because my parents just didn't really know to value it, which makes sense because they came from, my mom grew up on a farm with no running water, no electricity, didn't have shoes until she was who knows how, how old. So for her, she is from where she started to where she is now, she's extremely successful. When was the first time you felt successful in those terms? Did you ever feel like, oh shit, like I've actually checked the boxes and and was there a moment like that? And like, what did that feel like to you? Yeah. All right. So you're going to hear another mini story. So growing up, my brother was really good at school and it just came easy to him. And for me, it was really hard. It was really hard to sit down and pay attention and just understand things the first time. So I grew up thinking that I was stupid and my my mom, I remember, she asked me when I was a senior in high school, she was like, Erica, well, you're, you're not going to go to college, so you, you should start looking for a job. Maybe you can go work at Wells Fargo or something. And I was like, wait, like, who told you I wasn't going to college? And I... So I was just kind of like taken aback by that. But, you know, I can't even blame her. I I didn't show a bunch of interest in school. It was coming from a good place. It wasn't like she was, you know, like you can't do it. She wasn't saying that to me. So I ended up going to community college and I just started to learn more about mindset. And I started to learn more about myself and the way that I learn and how it became obvious that the harder I worked, the more I learned. So just because it didn't come easy to me the first time didn't mean I couldn't learn. So when I was in community college, my brother was going to UC Berkeley and he said to me, you'll never get into Berkeley. Like, of course not. Right. Like, are you kidding me? Like this, this school is just like incredibly hard. He was also an econ major. So he was taking like incredibly hard classes. It was really hard for him. And I was like, all right, like, I'm going to show you (laughs) definitely not the way that, I mean, it, it all, it all served its purpose. So let, let me just jump to the, jump to the end here. I ended up getting into Berkeley and that moment when I read my acceptance letter was a moment of where I felt like I made it like this is it. I can't even believe it because growing up, I never even thought I would go to school, but I worked hard through community college and ended up getting into one of the best universities in the world. And not only did I go there, I did really well there. I started to learn more about how I learned what I was even interested in, which is a huge thing. You can't force yourself to do things that aren't meaningful to you. I started to study ethnic studies and media studies, and it's everything I'm doing now. And at the time, it didn't make sense why I was studying that. But now that I'm looking at my trajectory and the way that I've navigated my career path, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense now. So at that moment is when I felt success. But as I then started to go to school and then I got a job, I thought I would continue to feel successful. But that's when I was, I just felt very unfulfilled. I felt like I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. 
Oh, that's so, so good. I love that story. You didn't need to rush it at all. Um, that, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this. I resonate with that a lot because uh, I struggled in college. And like, even to get into college was like this like big thing because my sister didn't go to college. And I went straight to a four year, which now I'm like, why did I do that? But at that time, it that felt like even a beginning of success for my mom. And everything I've done is for my mom, which I know you resonate with. Um, and it, I struggled. Like I was on academic probation for probably five of those 10 years. Like it was probably more, honestly. Um, it was just such a struggle. So I 100% get it. Like when I got my degree, I feel like I felt like when you got into Berkeley, because I was just like, it's weird. I was almost embarrassed. Like I was like, it took so long. Like it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't have took so long, but I was so proud. And now looking back at it, it's like crazy, but it's wild that like you got there and then you did well there. It's like you belonged there the whole time, like at UC Berkeley. Oh, and Kat, let me tell you, I called my mom the first week that I was there. And I almost like want to tear up because I remember this feeling and I remember the conversation. And I was like, mom, somebody fucked up and they are going to get fired because they let me into this school. And like, it's crazy, right? Because the next week I took this class and it was, it was meant for transfers to help you adapt to a four-year university. And in that class, we learned about the mindset, essentially that your abilities are not fixed and that you can change your abilities and you can get better at things. And it takes Michael Jordan as an example. It looks at like um, Oprah Winfrey, who was fired from her, like one of her first TV TV jobs. And like all these people, even um, like Walt Disney was fired from his, from Oh, his manager told him he would never um, that he would never do anything worthwhile because he didn't have enough creativity. So I guess the reason that this is so meaningful to me is because when I got to Berkeley is when I felt the biggest imposter syndrome and felt the biggest self-doubt. But it was also where I learned that what I worked hard at, I can change and I can I have the power to to create the life I want, essentially. And that's when I first learned about mindset and when I, and it's exactly what I try to teach now. It's why I'm so passionate about it because if the stupid one in the family could go to Berkeley and end up graduating with straight A's only my last semester, but um, I had never had straight A's in my life, like not even in elementary school. So (laughs) to then go to a university and have straight A's the last semester, it's like anything is possible is what I'm saying. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know what it feels like. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, like knows what it feels like to feel like you're not good enough. And even worse, you're not smart enough and that you literally can't do it because you aren't able. That is so damaging to us. And I feel like that has so much to do with what we've learned to be success in our families and in our homes. Because like, if you can't sit on this pedestal of what a first gen mom and dad, or, you know, an immigrant mom and dad 
comfortable set, then it's like you're nothing. Like I feel the same way in my family. Like when I grew up, especially my mom's side, like I grew up similar where like, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, you're basically nothing. And like, then, or if you didn't go to a like good school, like it's just so ridiculous. And even worse, it was like the men, if the men did something good, it was like all this praise. And as I grew up and now I'm like building my career and I hit like six figures, I was like, these mother, cause I probably aren't even making six figures. And I'm here, took 10 years to get my freaking degree. I worked my way up. I freaking did contract jobs for like a whole year. Like, and I got a $40,000 increase in my salary from in like a couple of years. You know what I mean? And it made me so angry that like these, the guys in the family for getting, for having the same work or probably less are like getting this praise because of the mix of not just what success looks like, but what success as a Latina looks like, right? Like a woman in a first gen family. And that is like, even it even adds to it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I consider my mom pretty forward thinking. Like she, she got a divorce when it was very taboo to do so within her, within her family. And she is, she's a badass. She is definitely a chingona. She has always been both a mom and a dad for me. So even my mom being so forward thinking, we will go visit my brother in Los Angeles and we will be at his house and my mom will make pozole. And she's like, Erica, serve your brother his plate. Like woman, we are at his house and you want me to go serve his plate. Like, it's just crazy. It's so ingrained in our culture. It is. It's so ingrained in our culture. And, you know, I find myself really fortunate because I grew up with a sister and my my mom's a single mom and it was just me and my sister. So we really didn't have a man in the house. We didn't even have like a boy or brother in the house. So it was kind of free for all. We were like three musketeers and like we never had, I never had to experience too much of that because I didn't have, we didn't have a a man in the house, a, a male, but my cousins like, oh my God, like I would go over there and it would be that all over again. Like the girls would get in trouble. The boys would never get in trouble. The this and that. And like, it's just so incredibly frustrating. And I think that adds to the pressure of like trying to be what successful looks like for you as a first gen Latino or as a woman of color or as a person who resonates with these experiences we're talking about. Like if you're the first in your family, or if you're the first woman in your family to go past these barriers, like it's just hard. Let's talk about how we switch that narrative like how have you switched that narrative what of what successful looks like because I know you talk about this a lot um and mindfulness and awareness like especially in your TikToks you guys check out if you really want to get an idea of what Erica's about just scroll through her TikTok for like literally five minutes and you'll know Um, but how has that successful narrative changed for you? And what does that process look like? You know, we talk so much about, about learning, but I think a big thing is unlearning. We have to unlearn the things that we were brought up, um, believing, and we have to get better at identifying what is our voice. What's that inner whisper telling us? 
versus what the media is telling us or what your family is telling you or what your culture is telling you or what those gender roles are telling you. So for me, it's um, my self-discovery journey, I think, started about six or seven years ago when I started. It actually started with yoga. It's why I became a yoga instructor. But I always knew I was I was very attracted to it, not because of the fitness component, but more of the mindfulness and the the mental component. And once I started to get more involved in yoga, and then I started learning about yoga ethics, and I started meditating, that's when things really started to shift for me. So I would say mindfulness is what has changed the game for me. And when I say mindfulness, I mean, journaling, meditation, Um, even just like reading and learning different perspectives, because when you grow up in an environment where it, when, whatever environment you grow up in, it's, it's somewhat sheltered no matter what. So being able to, I mean, now we live in the era of information. So your podcast, Jay Shetty, all his content, I'm a big fan of just reading different books that I have broadened my understanding of potential of just other ways of viewing things that has been really, really helpful. So the short answer is through mindfulness and growth. That's how, and unlearning the things that, that I learned so much growing up. When you say unlearning, like, have there been any aha moments for you where you're like, Oh shit, that mindset was like, not good. You either had a piece of success and you did talk about one, but like maybe recently where you had a block and you were like, wait, I'm, I could do so much more than this. You know, like I, I, I'm the one in my way right now. Yeah. I have a couple of answers to that if that's okay. And then you could pick which one, which one you want to use. So I was always taught that shit should be hard. Things should be hard right? Like if it's, if it's not difficult, um, then you're not working hard. Again, it goes back to that value of hard work, which I think it's such an admirable, humble value. But if we can combine hard work with smart work, we are unstoppable. So I've always, you know, I was always raised with like, things have to be difficult and resistance, I guess is the word. And when I started to learn more about law of attraction, It talks a lot about upstream thoughts, which means going against the current. And that's how I was raised to go against the current, to work really hard. It's essentially what, you know, what happened with my brother telling me I wouldn't get into Berkeley and my mom telling me I wouldn't go to college. I was like, I'm going to show you. And it was all just from this moment of, from this, this point of resistance. What I've learned is that everything you want is downstream. Everything you want flows just because something isn't difficult or just because you want something doesn't mean it has to be difficult. Things can be easy. That doesn't mean it's not going to require it, require long hours and, and hard work, but it won't feel like resistance. So that's one of the biggest things that I've had to that I've had to unlearn that success is available to me 
And I have to believe that it's available to me and I have to follow my my downstream thoughts and I have to go with the flow and see what feels right for me. Because if I'm coming at it from a point of I'm going to show you and all this resistance, I'm not going to get very far because you get tired going upstream and you don't get tired going with the current. I love, love, love that point. And I think it's important for like the audience to really if you're listening to this, <laughs> I want you to stop and really identify what you are working so hard towards, but also you're putting that in, like you're making it hard almost. Like you are calling it out as super difficult. You're calling it out as something that's going to be really hard to attain. You're calling it out as something that you don't know how to do and that you need experience, that you need this, that you need that, that you need all these things to do that thing. I just want you to take a moment and listen to what Erica just said and realize, because this is something I've had to learn. And this is something that I have to learn every freaking month (laughs) or every couple months. It doesn't have to be that hard. And when I think about, like, for example, my podcast, I remember for me, one of the biggest struggles was just being consistent with content. And for, I don't know why in my head, I, I like, I had to like be consistent with content for me to be worthy or valuable or whatever that was for me. But when I started the podcast, I was like, I, I just felt like I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, I just felt like I was like, I'm going to be consistent at this and nothing is going to stop me. And I made it so difficult. I, you know, it's not that I made it so difficult in my head. I made it difficult. And the other day, someone asked me, um, someone asked me, what is the one thing you've learned about podcasting that you think people don't know or something like that? And my first answer that came naturally to me is, I think I've learned that it's really just not, not that hard. It's like pretty easy to like get started and just talk and put it out. And I realized in answering that so casually that I was like, I'm so freaking dramatic. Like I used to think like, oh my God, it's going to be this big thing. I would like, I used to look at people who had like 12 episodes or 20 episodes and be like, how will I ever get there? And now I'm at 55. And then I'm like, uh, it's actually not that bad. Like it's, why it's us who makes it this big deal. So if you're listening to this, I just want you to really after this, write down some things that you want to do. Write down one thing that scares the living crap out of you, but you have been thinking about it over and over and over again. I want you to make it more simple. Um, and re- like think about how this you don't have to work hard for it. The moment I decided to no longer follow the path that my culture and my society was telling me to follow. And that moment came when I was engaged And I was going to get married and I decided I don't have to do this because this is not what's right for me. And if it's not what's right for me, it's not what's right for this other person. And how, even though at some level it felt selfish to call it off, it was almost how selfish would it have been to follow through with that just because it's what my family wanted for me and because what society was telling me was next And in the end, I mean, it was the best decision I could ever make. I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't, it does not feel good to, to do something like that. It doesn't feel good to hurt somebody, but I think in the end, everybody is just in a much better, better place. And from the moment that I called off that engagement is when this 
self-discovery journey really began. I traveled alone. I got into meditation. I really started reading. Um, I felt, I felt held back, not because of anyone else. I just felt held back because of the situation that I was in. Yeah, no, that is such, such a true, like, honest story. I honestly have such deep respect for people that have to call off their wedding, like during the engagement, because there's so much hype around that time. So let's get into the why behind being successful as a woman of color or being successful as a Latina in your case, because I know that's mainly your audience and a lot of my audience as well. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about like, what's in the way, what's in the way there? What have you learned? Yeah. So I've learned that we really do get in our own way of success for a few reasons. One of them being that we don't feel worthy. We tend to have this dialogue in our mind of who am I to have all of this success? And we're okay with a little success, but we don't even let ourselves imagine big success. So that's that's one dialogue that we have inside inside of our inside of our heads. Another one is that we're afraid of what our family will think or what they'll say because we are so family oriented and we love our family, right? We don't want to disappoint them. We want to we don't want conflict with them. This is why it was so hard for me to call off the the engagement. But we also have to understand that our family members aren't us and they don't know what our vision is and they can't envision our vision until they see it. And I'm sure you and I have both experienced this. Once we started to have success, people then started to see what we meant and see what what we were imagining and what we believed in. Another big one is that we are afraid of failing. It almost paralyzes us, right? But we learn so much more by trying and failing than we do by doing nothing at all and by sitting there thinking. And here's my favorite. Not only are we afraid of failing, but we are afraid of succeeding. We're afraid of succeeding because succeed success then means accountability. It then means expectations. It means all these other things. And it's so much easier to imagine failure than it is to imagine success. So we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to imagine what we want for our future. So many times, like I hear, I hear the comment, I really want to start something like this, but, but I'm not really sure. Like we don't even know what we want, but we know we don't want where, where we are right now. So that's why mindfulness and visualization is so is so big. So in the mornings after I meditate, I spend five minutes closing my eyes and imagining what I want my future life to be. And when I actually started to visualize my future, and one of the other things I started to do is in my journal, I write down 10 goals that I have. And I started doing this in January. And one of those goals was I'm invited to speak on podcasts. This is the fourth podcast that I'm speaking on this year. It's crazy how once you put it out into the universe and actually even become aware of it, you then begin to, here's what happens. You write it out or you think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you find your brain literally finds ways to support it. So your thoughts then become your reality and your reality then is achieving your goals. It's kind of crazy, but we don't even give ourselves the permission to dream. And we don't give ourselves the the permission to dream big. Five years ago, if somebody told you, Kat, that you're going to be where you are today, you probably wouldn't believe them. 
I think I'd be freaked out. I'd be like, I'm coaching people. I need a coach. (laughs) No, for sure. For sure. You know, what's funny is I resonate with that for a couple of reasons, actually. So in my circle, I have always been the big dreamer, right? So I actually, no joke, I still tell people this because I still believe it. Um, I always, since I was like really young, I'd be like, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to be a millionaire. In high school, I was like, I'm going to be a career woman and I'm going to have the baby after 30. I actually am a very big dreamer, but I, I'm, I, I have this this uh, mental block of the work hard piece. I always felt like I had to work really, really hard. Here's the thing. I don't know who, maybe some folks in the audience are really good at this, but I've told you this. I am really bad at the mindfulness stuff. Like I'm, I'm more of like the hard worker fight through the friction. Like uh, it's probably not the best way, but it's like the only way I know how to like have success and to go towards something. It does feel like a lot of friction, um, but I almost find, I, I don't know, I must find pleasure. <laughs> um, but I know one area in my life that I really need to get down, especially if I want to get to the bigger levels that I want to reach for myself. Um, what kind of practices do you recommend for someone who is on a journey? They're having, like they're having success, Um, but they really are ready for like, like abundance, like they're ready for like the, the, the best versions of themselves, what you would recommend, like, what do we need to, to really prep ourselves for the type of success that we want? Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm glad that you, that you brought it up again, because in today's world, everything is calling our attention. We have notifications coming through our watch, through our phone, through our computer, the way that technology works, I know this because I work in tech, the more time you spend within an app, the better that application does. So everybody wants to get you on their app more. Instagram wants you to spend more time there. TikTok wants you to spend more time there. And then add to that, that we are all still in quarantine, shelter in place. We're at home more. It is so hard to be mindful to sit there and do nothing when you have a million things calling your attention, especially for you with a kid at home, you know, He needs you for survival. (laughs) So it's not easy to just, oh, I'm going to go be mindful because it's, it's, our mind does not want to sit there and do nothing. Our mind wants to go, 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 go. It's how we um, have survived in the past. Our, Our mind is negatively, is wired to think negative thoughts for our safety. So anytime that, you know, fear exists for a reason, if we didn't have fear, we would just walk in front of cars That's what fearlessness is. We would die. So fear is really just protecting us. But then it becomes almost too much. And we are now living in this world where we are just distracted. We are not present. And if you think about any of your good ideas or whenever creativity has really been flowing, rarely does that come from a place of chaos. It usually comes from a place of calm. So how can you seek out calm in your crazy ass day. And there's a few different ways that you can do it. Obviously, things like meditation and journaling, prayer, whatever works for you is is what you should do. But more than anything, I'd say it's your morning routine. 
Because the way you start out your day sets the tone for the rest of your day. When I don't meditate in the morning, the chances of me getting to that in the evening are very slim. If I don't work out in the morning, I may not get to it because you don't know what's going to happen throughout the day. So if you like, especially if you have a child, if you can get up 15 minutes before your kid gets up, even doing one minute of meditation or just breathing or even writing out what worries you, what, what's currently on your mind that's worrying you and what's bringing you joy. Simple things like that really will help set the tone for your day. My preference is journaling. It's what I've found. It's the best way for me to understand what's going on in my mind. And it's the best way to extract content ideas, creativity, solutions to the problems I'm facing. But for each person, it can be different. So maybe for you, Kat, maybe that's prayer. So setting aside time in the morning to pray that is mindfulness. And that is even more than mindfulness. That is then connection with something even that's connection with your deeper purpose. And I would say it's easy to want to start a morning routine and say, I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to go meditate and then I'm going to journal and then I'm going to go have a gratitude practice. And that all sounds great. And on my good days, I do all that. However, When you are just starting out, if you try to do everything, you are going to fail. Habits take 60 days to build. So I recommend start with one thing in the morning that's already easy for you. Once you've mastered that, maybe try adding something else. And who knows? Maybe meditation is not good for you. Maybe you live in a really noisy environment. Maybe instead you want to go for a walk in the mornings. So it's just about finding what works for you and what works for your lifestyle And building a habit out of it. Because once it becomes a habit, it's just, you don't have to think about it anymore. So habits can be really, really powerful. No, you're so, so right. And I do want to call out, especially for like, specifically the moms listening to this, because I know our lifestyle is just a little bit chaotic in terms of like, especially our mornings. Like I remember literally it was just maybe a couple months ago. I was just like, if you have a morning routine, you know nothing about having kids. Like I I can't have a morning routine. Like that's just not how my life works. Like I don't even know when he's going to wake up. Some days it's six o'clock. Some days it's five 30. Some days it's seven, but I want to be super clear that like, and this is something I've had to learn because one, I just had a super limiting belief of for a long time. And I still struggle with it. I had this limiting belief of time. Oh, well, I don't have time. I, I mean, I, I got this and I have a full-time job and I have this podcast I'm trying to build and I have a baby and trying to be a wife. I'm trying to do laundry. I'm trying to go to the grocery store. Like it just felt like time was so scarce and specifically, and it's not just moms because I know we're all scared, you know, you, you know, we all can be strapped for time sometimes, but I think specifically moms, because it's such a weight to carry. Um, one thing we have to get rid of is not get rid of. One thing we have to work towards is our mindset around time. Like we just got to work on it. And I'll tell you what I did to work on it because it was hard. I I had to set real hard expectations on myself and say, okay, Kat, what is what do you have to do? Like in the morning specifically, because I go up and down with like my morning routine. And I really have always wanted something consistent, right? Um, especially since I have my my baby. And and I'll say if you're if you have a new baby, 
just throw all this out the window, just take care of your baby. Um, but if you are in the process of really trying to like make some type of routine yourself, use your resources, like, and your resources, I mean, your partner, your husband, a friend, a mom, maybe you can't have a morning. If you're a single mom, maybe you can't have a morning routine at all, you know, regularly. Maybe you leave those morning routines for the weekends. Um, maybe you can have, you know, your best friend or your mom or your sister or whatever, uh, brother come over at a certain time, um, at, at a, you know, in the morning so you can do A, B, and C, but like, I know we all have our different circumstances and situations, but for me, I really had to learn that I I was setting a big block for me by continuing to say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I can't make this happen. I can't do this. And what I really needed to do was just sit down and explain to my husband, to Paul and say, hey, I really, really need this t- this to happen every day. Like I just, you just need to communicate it. Like I need this to happen every day. I need my time. And before I, I just moved. So I need to find my little devotional, but that's what I used to do. Um, but I would just say, Hey, like I need this time to pray and to do my devotional. And that's what I need to do. I'd say, start communicating with your partner, start communicating with you know, whoever you need to, to make these habits happen. It's not going to be just you alone sometimes. And I get that. Um, but I do challenge you to, to challenge your beliefs around, around making habits happen, because that was something hard for me. The one thing I would add to that, I agree with everything you said, Kat. The one thing I would yeah. add is if you have a child that's old enough to participate with you, you could even meditate with them. And meditation isn't always just sitting there and doing nothing. It can actually be drawing. It can be listening to music. It could be doing an arts and crafts. Get them involved because the earlier that you can get children involved in mindfulness, the more successful they will be. Because in a time when we are just bombarded with messages, to even give them that five minutes of stillness and creativity will improve their mood. Like it just, it helps in so many different ways. There's so much research now on the benefits of mindfulness. I love, love, love that. That's so, so true. I can't wait to teach PJ how to meditate <laughs> or journal. I, I, You know me, I really got to work on the journaling, but I'm going to try. You know, it's that I really want to journal. I think that is the thing. I want to journal, but I feel like I suck at it and I know nobody sucks at it, but I'm just saying. Okay. Anyways, that'll be for another show. Uh, So Erica, tell us about your coaching program. I know you already have a lot of folks who are interested, but for the people who are listening and are really vibing with what you're saying. Can you tell us a little bit about what you offer? So I'm super excited because I just opened enrollment for my group coaching program called the purpose driven Latina. And it's, we're going to cover everything, awareness, mindset, wellness, because if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that if we are unwell, nothing else matters. And lastly, action. So those are the four main components that, that we're going to go over. It's, obviously targeted at Latinas 
that are looking for fulfillment and living, looking to live with more purpose. And I'm just so excited about it because I love one-on-one time with people, but there's something so special about having a community of people. So that's why I really wanted to start focusing on the group coaching program. So I think it's going to be a great opportunity to start your own self-discovery journey and find a community, a tribe of people that are also trying to do the, the same thing. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. You are such a blessing um, to all of us, Erica. Uh, where can people find you? Thank you, Kat. And you are a blessing, I swear. I'm so happy and honored to have you as a business bestie. People can find me uh, as at the Erica Cruz on Instagram as well as TikTok. I should actually spell that out. So the T-H-E, Erica is E-R-I-K-A. And then last name is Cruz, C-R-U-Z, just because there's a few ways to spell both Erica and Cruz. So you can find me as that handle throughout pretty much all social media. And then my website is theericacruz.com on there or the links in my bio. You'll find the application for the group coaching program. I am pretty limited on spots. I think I have maybe seven left. But if you don't get in this time, I'm going to have a wait list for the next time. So you should still go ahead and apply. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Erica because I sure did. All right. So here are the takeaways from my conversation with Erica Cruz. Number one, your abilities are not fixed. You can get better at things and master them. Number two, we have to unlearn the things that we were grown up with. If they're not serving us, we need to leave those beliefs behind. Number three, get better at identifying what is your voice versus the voice of your family, society, media. We got to get better at understanding what our voice is. Number four, just because you want something doesn't mean it has to be difficult. It doesn't have to be resistance when you're going after your goals. Number five, this is your permission to follow your own path. Do what is right for you on the path that you choose, not the path that someone else picks for you. Number six, put your wants out there in the universe. Go for them. Give yourself permission to think big. Number seven, in today's world, everything is calling our attention left and right. Make sure to take time to focus, meditate, pray, journal, take a walk, whatever way you find calm, make sure to take time for it. And number eight, your morning routine is so important, guys. So if you have the the circumstances to actually create some type of routine, make sure to take time to do that. The way you start your day sets the tone for the rest of the day. And if you're a mama, that means boundaries. So try to figure out, see what you can do with what you got. All right, guys, thank you so, so much for being here. If you took anything away from today's episode, I ask you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Let us know what you think. It would be so, so appreciated. Thank you so, so much for listening in. I appreciate you, love you, and have a wonderful rest of the week.